So every year at this time of year, as we conclude our stewardship sermon series, I remember the senior pastor that I followed when our family moved to First United Methodist Church of Sherman, Texas. His name was Dr. Jim Pledger. He was the longest tenured uh, senior pastor in the history of that congregation. Uh, And I followed Jim when he retired and moved to be near his grandkids in Fort Worth. Jim had a, a terrific sense of humor and he had a funny phrase for this particular day each year. All four of the United Methodist congregations that I've served have had an annual stewardship Uh, seasons, stewardship campaign this time of year, so that they could plan well for the coming year of ministry. There is certainly a practical as well as a theological reason to talk about stewardship during this season every year. All four of those churches have have had a have a particular Sunday uh, when the congregation brings forward pledge cards at the end of the service. This is the 23, 23rd year in a row that Whitney and I will participate in this annual ritual. Some churches call it Commitment Sunday, some call it Stewardship Sunday. Uh, As you know, we call it Celebration Sunday. And shortly after I moved to Sherman, I learned that my predecessor, Dr. Jim Pledger, always preached uh, one stewardship sermon at this time every year. He would pack an entire uh, stewardship season into what he affectionately referred to as the Sermon on the Amount. (laughs) And so um, with fondness and due credit to Dr. Jim Pledger. I suppose this is my version of the Sermon on the Amount. A couple of years ago, back in the fall of 2020, in the depths of the pandemic, uh, we were in the middle of the last presidential election. It was a very tumultuous time in the life of our country. I'm sure you remember uh, our senior staff here at the church studied a book called Dare to Lead by an author named Brene Brown. You may be familiar with her work. If not, I would recommend it to you. It's, it's very good. And her, her book was helpful for the senior staff. <clears throat> At the time, we were primarily online in terms of worship and really most of our other ministries. There was quite a bit of uncertainty and anxiety and fear in the culture. I'm, great, I'm grateful that we're largely past all that now. We're in a different place uh, than we were then. <clears throat> but back then, we were trying to figure out how best to lead the church through this incredibly challenging period. And one of Brene Brown's core principles is clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And I think she's completely right about this. So specifically regarding the subject of stewardship, when I was a layperson, uh, I was always unclear about exactly what I was being asked to do. Now, I knew that I was asked to to support the work of the church, of course, but either I was not paying enough attention uh, or expectations of me as a disciple were not being made clear enough by the pastors in my life. In fairness, uh, it was probably the former. (laughs) I was probably not paying close enough attention. Either way, when I became a senior pastor, I committed to being clear about this subject, and as I later learned from Brene Brown, clear is kind. So I thought it would be helpful for us here at the beginning of the final sermon of our stewardship series to do a quick uh, Cliff's Notes version of the theology of stewardship. I would suppose that would be spark notes for the younger generation. Um, this certainly would have been helpful for me when I was starting to take my discipleship seriously as a young adult. I think there are, there are four basic principles of stewardship. <clears throat> First, the biblical witness is really pretty clear that we're all called to tithe, which means, just to be clear, giving a tenth of our income 
to the church. This is a, an ancient standard in the Judeo-Christian tradition. It is as relevant today as it was uh, when Abraham practiced it. Second, uh, because the reality is that very few people truly tithe, if you're not there yet, there is certainly no need to feel guilty about it. But we are called to be growing in our giving towards that goal. Third, that means that we need to be prayerful and intentional about our giving as we grow in this area of our discipleship. And fourth, finally, uh, if you've not yet begun this spiritual discipline, it's best to start somewhere and to uh, begin at a level that you can sustain as you prayerfully and intentionally grow in this area of Christian spirituality. Clear is kind for basic principles to guide us in this area. Okay, having said that, let's turn to our specific subject for today. Here at Christ United Methodist Church, we approach the stewardship season through the lens of our mission statement, loving God, serving others, transforming lives. Obviously, in the first two weeks of the series, we covered loving God and serving others. You can always get caught up via podcast or the website if you missed one and want to get caught up. Today, we're talking about transformation. And as we wrap up this series, we're also wrapping up our yearly our year-long journey through Luke's gospel. This has been Luke's year in the recommended lectionary cycle. And since the beginning of uh, Advent last year, Luke has gotten a tremendous amount of airtime. I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this. In fact, over the past 49 Sundays since Advent began, I have preached on Luke 20 times. <laughs> I've never even preached on the gospel of John that much, and John is my favorite book ever. But it's been good to take this deep dive on Luke because as we've noted many times over the past year, Luke is our greatest storyteller. Um, we've talked quite a bit about how so much of um, our, so many of our familiar stories are found only in Luke's gospel. They're unique to this gospel. We've talked about how Luke truly is the, the foundation of so much of our theology. And our passage today is, is another one of those recommended lectionary texts from Luke for this year. So this is, uh, it's pretty brief, so we'll just go ahead and read all of it now. This is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
The subject of the, of the stewardship of our financial resources uh, comes up a fair amount in the Gospels. You may have heard this uh, statistic before that, that roughly a quarter of Jesus' parables deal with money in some way. And so it's obviously a subject that would be irresponsible for us to avoid. The subject is also pretty deeply embedded, embedded in our United Methodist tradition as well. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, uh, had a lot to say about money. He preached sermons with titles like On Riches, The Danger of Riches, The Danger of Increasing Riches. <laughs> he was pretty vocal about how he thought Methodists should use our money. And on our specific text for today, what many folks refer to as the parable of the rich fool, Wesley preached a sermon called On Worldly Folly. And in that section, my Wesley Study Bible uh, makes this point. Wesley feared that riches were a sign of self-indulgence and frequently warned his Methodists to practice generosity rather than self-indulgence. Now, the way I read Jesus' teachings that address the subject of money, wealth, riches, the way I read it, money is not actually the point. <laughs> Whether it's the story of the widow's might or the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the story of Zacchaeus or the parable of the prodigal son, all of these we've covered over the past year, um, the teachings of, on wealth in the Sermon on the Mount or our scripture for today, the parable of the rich fool, how people think about and use their money uh, is one way that Jesus diagnoses their spiritual health, which is to say uh, the way that we use our financial resources is either an indicator of our spiritual health or it's a symptom of a spiritual problem. To me, Jesus' words at the end of our scripture for today that we should be rich toward God, which is kind of an interesting phrase, those words to me are all about our subject for today, that we should be seeking the transformation that God's Holy Spirit works in us when we give ourselves fully to the life of discipleship, the journey of discipleship. Because it doesn't really matter how much we have. No matter our financial resources, we can either be generous or we can be stingy. We can either have a, a scarcity mindset, which leads, to, leads us to hoard our money out of fear, or uh, we can have an abundance mindset, which uh, frees us up to be generous. The amount of money we have is, is uh, irrelevant. We can either be reluctant toward God or we can be rich toward God in Jesus' words. Our use of money is simply an indicator of where we are spiritually like any other spiritual discipline. Prayer, worship with the community of faith, uh, Bible study, service to others, fellowship in small groups, financial giving. The point of all of the spiritual disciplines is to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us to take the focus off of ourselves, off of our, our fears, our imperfections, our sin, our spiritual anxieties, and by doing so, to make room for God in our hearts and minds and souls. And when we do that, when we begin truly to trust God, uh, when we listen for God's guidance and will for our lives intentionally through these spiritual disciplines, that's when spiritual tr transformation happens. Or at the very least, that's when it begins to happen. And for me, 
That's actually what Jesus is talking about in all of his teachings and parables, including the ones about the use of our financial resources. When I first walked through the doors of the United Methodist Church, I was in a pretty rough place, spiritually speaking. I had, I had grown up in the Roman Catholic tradition. If you've been around very long, you've surely heard me say that. Uh, and I will always be grateful for that foundation that my parents gave me. But at 29 years old, I had been in the wilderness for a while. If I was not completely lost, I could certainly see lost <laughs> from where I was. I didn't really know what I needed, spiritually speaking, but I, know, I knew I did not have it yet, which is to say I was spiritually restless and unfulfilled, and I knew that I needed to connect with something bigger than myself. Whitney and I uh, were dating, but we were um, not yet engaged. Uh, we were certainly on our way there, and we both knew that we needed a spiritual anchor for what would someday be our family. Um, she had not been raised in the church, but she had gone to a Methodist preschool, a United Methodist preschool, of which she had fond memories. She knew that y'all Methodists were very nice people and had been very nice to her. <laughs> this is true. The Holy Spirit worked in this way. The only reason we're Methodists is because my wife went to a Methodist preschool. And so she recommended that we give you Methodists a try. And it's, it is hard to put this into words. Um, we had a, we were at a birthday party yesterday for a, a friend of ours from Arapahoe turned 70 years old. <clears throat> and we went down uh, near the church to a, a Chinese food restaurant and had uh, lunch with all these friends that we've known for all these years. And it was such a, uh, powerful reminder of the power of church connections. I'm sure y'all know what I'm talking about if you've been around for a while, but the way I try to express it is that uh, that day in January 2000, when we tentatively walked into the sanctuary at Arapaho United Methodist Church, um, it felt like we were coming home. <laughs> and I felt like that in every Methodist church I've been in since. So much so that the United Methodist Church uh, is a place we never left and we never intend to leave. And there's, there's a long list of ways that we have benefited from being part of the church for these past almost 23 years. I mean, there are selfish reasons to be part of a church. Uh, and, there, and we've been blessed by many of those. We helped start uh, a Sunday school class when we were just becoming active in the church, and that group ended up being our most important social circle, especially as we started having kids. And we became close with our pastors. They married us. Uh, they were there for us when we had a miscarriage of our first pregnancy, one of the hardest things we've ever gone through. The church surrounded our, has, has surrounded our two boys with love and care and grace from the, from the day they were born. I'm so grateful that the church is a happy place for my children. The church supported us unconditionally when Whitney's father died unexpectedly just right after his retirement. Methodist preschools have given our boys uh, spiritual, social, emotional, and intellectual foundations that are truly priceless. Of course, as a pastoral family, every church we've served has loved and supported and, and nurtured 
and encouraged us, blessing us um, beyond measure in more ways than I can count. And all of those benefits of being part of the church are certainly reason enough to be a church, be part of the church. <laughs> it's easy for me to, to talk about why you should be a member of a church because it's been an amazing experience for me. But as wonderful as those benefits are, I believe they pale in comparison to the importance of the transformation that God works in our lives through the church. What I heard beginning in January 2000 was what we've been talking about throughout this series. Arapaho's mission statement was different than ours. But as part of the United Methodist Church, the theology was the same, that we are called to build faithful lives on the foundation of God's unconditional love and mercy and grace, loving God, serving others, transforming lives as a, as a living response to the grace of God. Starting in January of 2000, I heard in a different way how much God loves us unconditionally. <laughs> how God invites us into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then God works in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that theology has made all the difference in my life. All the difference. And whether you've been here 50 years or longer, or you're where I was almost 23 years ago, I know that that's made all the difference in your life, or that it can make the difference. It led me out of the wilderness. It gave me the answers I was looking for. It filled my life with, with true meaning and purpose before I heard a call to ordained ministry. It connected me with something bigger than myself for the first time in my life, and thank God I've had that connection since. It even inspired Whitney and me to turn in our first pledge card at the end of that first year as part of the church. And for the first time in my life, I truly experienced the transforming grace of God that is offered to us in Jesus Christ, a transformation that I am sure, with the certainty of my faith, is going to continue until I meet Jesus someday in glory. So friends, as we wrap up stewardship season, may we rededicate ourselves to our mission, both as a congregation and as individual disciples. May we give thanks to God for the chance to love God and serve others here at Christ United Methodist Church. And may we invite the Holy Spirit to continue the work of transformation within every one of us. Amen.